Hello, and welcome to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman, and you are listening to me on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So we're going to go to a quick disclaimer after listening to a little bit of jazz and a little bit of me talking about how we're going to go to a quick disclaimer. And then we're going to come back and then we're going to unpack uh, the topics of tonight's show. Be back in just a jiff. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3215 or email radio at bnnmedia.org. Hello, and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. Again, my name is Rachel Meiselman, and as always, we have just so much to talk about. So let's just just get started. People have to start getting out and voting. I just, I don't know what else to say. But parallel to that, the Republican Party has to step up and we have to start recruiting candidates. Now, I am happy to see there is a lot of activity coming from the current leadership. And it's a sharp departure, certainly from the previous Uh, Chairman, Chairman Lyons, who did absolutely nothing for Boston, nothing. In fact, he did nothing for all of Suffolk County. (laughs) He did nothing actually for the whole Commonwealth. But that's a topic that we could discuss, that we could unpack, that we could parse over the course of several episodes of Bostonian Rap. I want to talk about, though, what's going on now. And I am pleased, very pleased actually, to see that not only is Chairman Carnavali, Amy Carnavali, weighing in on the issues of Boston that are plaguing Boston, but she's doing it in such a manner that shows that she's done some research, that there has been some legwork done to actually understand the issue, the matter at hand. So, you know, then, of course, when she makes her comment, it packs a more significant punch. Because, of course, there are people who will weigh in. It could be anybody. But if, 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 you know, an individual is going to comment on something, is going to say something, about a a matter and not understand it or not be entirely familiar with it, whatever he, he or she has to say is going to be lacking, of course. But there, there has been some, uh, I think comments that have been made and they've been, they've been, they've been pretty good. They've been pretty good. And those of you (laughs) who have been following me for a long time, know that I don't just hand out compliments like party favors. <laughs> so uh, certainly if I think someone's doing a good job, I say so. 
Uh, that doesn't mean that I will never disagree with Chairman Carnavali or, or a member of her team, but it's to say that I'm very happy with what she's doing. And I think that any disagreement that could, that may occur, I mean, maybe it won't, you know, uh, but any any possibility of a disagreement, uh, I think, would be within an infrastructure, if I can if I can phrase it like that, an infrastructure uh, where there is knowledge, where there is commitment, where there is engagement, and so there would necessarily be like, okay, well, I disagree respectfully. And then, you know, I would say whatever it is that I had to say. But, I mean, certainly it's it's welcome, the intervention, uh, the engagement uh, of the Massachusetts Republican Party in Boston. And I have to say that you know, there's certainly some people who are bemoaning the focus on Boston. And I just, I, I, I just have a few choice words for them. If you don't like the engagement, the that the Massachusetts Republican Party is undertaking vis-a-vis Boston and its residents, then don't pay attention. But this whole thing, you know, well, oh, Boston, 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 it's so Boston-centric. Well, let me tell you something. Those same people, should something happen in Boston, that's negative. That makes headlines. These people do not hesitate to weigh in, to, to, to talk about it, to, to lambaste actors whom they don't even know over issues with which they're not even familiar. So I, I don't really want to hear it from any of that crowd right there because all this talk about Boston-centric, but Boston has actually been horribly neglected. It's been horrifyingly neglected, and we're paying a very stiff price now. We're, we're, we're paying a very stiff price. Uh, I am not a negative person. I'd like to think that I'm an optimistic person, but Boston has been destroyed. And it's just a matter of how many pieces will we need to pick up to, to get the city back on a path to rejuvenation, to, you know, to, to a place where it can be strong, it can be respected, and, and, and it can be a place where people can enjoy a sustainable existence. Right, right now, Boston is a mess. It's a mess. And we have elected officials. There are a few of whom, they just, they don't need to be there. And I've discussed some of them. 
and I will continue to 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 name names because we have people who are just cashing checks. There are some elected officials you cannot get an audience with them. If they know that you are critical of them or that you have a question, it doesn't even have to be a criticism per se that you have of them or something that they have said or done. There are people that, elected officials that is, politicians that if it's something they don't want to hear, if it's a question they don't feel like answering, if it's a question that they can't answer because they simply don't know what they're doing, and that's generally the case, they will shut you down. They will ignore you. Uh, if they have to, they will have to, air quotes, they will block you. Okay, so step forward, someone like Erin Murphy. Erin Murphy wants this job to be ceremonial. And I think that if she wants to be an ambassador of Boston, some kind of ambassador of sorts, then she should look for a job that would allow her to fulfill her wish. But she is an elected official. She's on the front line. She's the first port of call. It's it's just the way it is. If, if there is an issue that touches someone on a quotidian basis, on a daily basis, that person's likely to reach out to a member of the city council. Now, they have the unsexy job of making sure that, you know, working with the mayor to make sure that, you know, sidewalks, you know, there are no sidewalks where someone could trip or fall, making sure that, you know, potholes are um, fixed as well, uh, you know, making sure that as much as they can, um, and, and they have they have a fair amount of say, uh, that the Boston Public Schools, uh, the school district for the city of Boston, uh, has the resources that it needs to ensure that our children are well-rounded. They have quite, I think, uh, a platform. So another one of uh, the things that they could do, or I think that falls within the purview of their role, they could take up an issue that's affecting their constituency. It could be there is a particular type of crime that's going on in one district. Um, but generally, if there, there's um, a particular type of crime and it's prevalent in one area, it's probably prevalent in another area as well or throughout the city. But let, let's just say, you know, take that for an example. Uh, it could be relative to environment, uh, resiliency, you know, our waters, you know, so for instance, uh, the District 1 Boston City Councilor, Gabriella Coletta, she has East Boston and she has Charlestown and she has the North End. And, you know, she's also responsible for 
know, the waterfront. So there's a lot of water. There's a lot of blue in Councilor Coletta's uh, district. And she has, she has parts of downtown, too. Uh, excuse me. So, but you know, the, the point is, there's, there's a lot of blue <laughs> in her district. And, you know, she certainly could. And, and she has, actually. I mean, that's something that seems to be uh, near and dear to her heart, issues around uh, resiliency and green spaces and blue spaces. So I think that there is a lot of good that the Boston City Council can do, not just in terms of fulfilling their perfunctory aspects of the job, but also kind of not even reimagining it, because again, it falls within the purview of their job, but just using, wielding the power that they do have as counselors, members of the Boston City Council, using that to shine some light on an issue, a problem, or a topic that demands discussion. What we get with someone like Erin Murphy is it's just selfies, selfies. That That's it. Selfies and hot takes. And so I made a comment earlier on social media about this. You know, I, I'm tired of it. And there are a lot of people who are tired of it. It's, it's just... To play devil's advocate, and, and I've said this before, this isn't... This isn't the first time that I've had to say something, not just about Councilor Murphy, but just other elected officials that just are not up to the job. There's certainly a ceremonial aspect. I think any elected office, any public office, I think there's a ceremonial aspect. And I mean, I, I certainly think with being a member of the Boston City Council, there is a fair amount of that, but there is so much of the other parts of the job that the ceremonial aspect should be just, it should underpin what is being done. So, making sure quality of life issues that impact people most directly are addressed. And why? Well, because, you know, maybe at at the base of it, counselors, Boston City Councils are, uh, in a certain respect, ambassadors uh, of of the city. I mean, you you can look at them like that. I mean, you, you certainly could. In fact, I look at Michelle Wu, as the CEO of Boston, because that's because uh, I look at Boston as a business. I look at Boston as a business, and I look at the Boston City Council as the board of directors. So, you know, if you look at it like that, that's even more uh, of an argument for looking at Boston City Councilors as ambassadors of sorts. But it's 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 critical, it's essential that the counselor, counselors are performing 
all the other duties too. It, it, it just, it, I don't want to see pictures of her while she's out and about. I don't, quite frankly, I don't care. I don't care if she's not offering some kind of solutions to alleviate, for example, issues on methadone mile. I mean, every year, I see Erin Murphy put up a post about her journey in sobriety. And I commend her as I would commend anybody. And I've said this before. I've said this very clearly, emphatically, and unequivocally. I commend anyone who has managed to come out the other side of an addiction, someone who can enjoy sobriety. It's not easy. And I wouldn't wish addiction of any kind on anybody because addiction just in general, I think, is a very cruel, cruel, demanding, exacting mistress. But I then find it all the more difficult to accept that someone who's going to every year put up a post about her her journey her her journey in sobriety and then not offer any kind of ideas or put forth any proposals for others who have not been as fortunate and their issues with substance abuse so there's that but then there's also just all these trips around town and just maybe just doing errands and then just packaging them or labeling them or presenting them as, oh, I support small business. No, you're just running an errand. Look, the Boston City Councils make over $100,000 a year. In fact, they make 115000 And don't tell me they don't get perks perks in the way of if they want something and a member of the public wants something, who do you think is going to get it? It, it? They get access to information and resources that their constituents don't necessarily get access to. So they have a heavy responsibility vis-a-vis us. And if it weren't for us, they wouldn't have that job and they wouldn't ha- be making that salary and they wouldn't have access to those resources. But again, it's not just Aaron Murphy. We have Julia Mejia. Julia Mejia openly admitted that she needed some time. It took her some time. It took her like couple of terms so that that's about like three or four years right like she she you know like it took her I think either the better part of two terms or maybe two terms to understand what her role as city councilor is but then I would throw back if I had been sitting across from her I would say well then you never should have ran 
You never should have run. Excuse me. Tired. Gotta make sure my English is on point. I'm a stickler for grammar. <laughs> I'm tired, though. But you never should have run for office. And the fact that she ran in, no, no, but, uh, she, but she never should have run. Really? Truly, honestly, like, I, I don't know too many jobs, too many sectors where you are in a position where you're making decisions. You're, you're, you're part of the decision-making body that are... That, that you're you're coming to conclusions and you're putting laws into place that are really going to and I keep on coming back to this phrase like really kind of touch people on a daily basis like really impact them <laughs> It's not okay to not understand that. It's not okay to run for something like this and not understand what you need to be doing vis-a-vis the people that you claim are so important, so important that you stood up to run to represent them. That's not okay. You know, and you have some other people. You have Tanya Fernandez-Anderson, and I, she actually... I think, I actually think she's smart. She has some horrible views. I mean, just loathsome views. But, uh, I mean, what she has done in regard to, you know, what she has expressed in regard to the, uh, the war between Israel and Hamas is absolutely shameful. And I don't think that that has any place what she has done, what she has said. I don't think that has any place in a municipal building. And I don't think anyone who holds public office should have those views. And so that's a pretty big thing for me to get around. Notwithstanding my extreme dismay over that, I actually think she's a smart woman. I do. And... I was rather blown away. And again, I don't <laughs> I don't get impressed very easily, but I was very impressed when the last budgeting season and she tried to really kind of break it down into bite-sized pieces so that her constituents and so and listeners in general could understand what was going on during the budgeting session. So I I gave her props for that. I you know, she deserved kudos for that. And she has done a lot to help people understand the process. And I just wish she could stick to that. I really do. I I think that that's an excellent thing that she does. I also think she has a lot of energy. And I also think that she she really does have an understanding of the office that it's it's just very apparent, um, particularly when you compare her 
to other city councilors, past and present. She does have a sense of what she needs to do, and she does have a sense of, I have this role, but rather than just have people just ask her questions, like having it be kind of like a one-way flow, she throws the doors open and and invites, I think, her constituency in to kind of see how things work. I think she does a pretty good job of that. There are other things I can certainly criticize about her, but there is that. There is that. And I wish, again, I wish she could just stick to that. <laughs> I really do. You know, you've had other counselors, you know, past and present, I don't know what to say. I just, I think that the Boston City Council has become a place, sadly, for people who are long on ambition, but short on actual talent and knowledge and commitment to the people. And that's really sad. That's really sad. So it's just, it's, um, it's unfortunate because... We need people who are rooted in the issues and who are dedicated to service to their respective communities. I mean, it's just essential because, again, as I described the city council earlier in the show, if if people have issues, the city council, those are some of the elected officials that people reach out to first. So, I mean, that's serious. You know, if people are going hungry, if they go to bed and they don't have food in their bellies, it's very possible that one of those city councilors are among the first elected officials that they reached out to. So I just, I have a huge problem with people stepping into this role, not even stepping, but standing up to run for this without understanding what they're doing, knowing the different, you know, uh, the different members of the community that they are claiming that they already know. It's tremendously frustrating. And I think because so many people have seen the city council as a means to an end, a stepping stone for the office that they really want, and then once they get to the office that they really want, then that office, of course, becomes a stepping stone to another office that they've decided that they really, really want. The the upshot of all that is that really serious, grave issues have not been, there have been some very serious issues that have not even been addressed. But then if I do now an abrupt pivot, stay with me. <laughs> it was an abrupt, an abrupt pivot's coming up on your next left. It's where the Republican Party comes in because we need accountability. 
And I'm not saying that all Republicans are great because they're not. I mean, there are some great people who are Democrats. There are. And there are some great people who are Republicans. The letter after your name, your party affiliation, doesn't determine whether or not you're a good person or a bad person. The reason why, though, I think that we need to have Republicans on the city council and and, and in other places in Boston and and beyond, throughout Suffolk County, in Revere, in Winthrop, in, in Chelsea, is because when you have an elected official that understands that he or she is going to be challenged or that there's the possibility of such a challenge and that that challenge is credible, I I promise you, those elected officials, that elected official, elected officials in general, are then going to mind their P's and Q's and they're going to be more responsible Uh, well, responsible vis-a-vis the people, but responsive to the people. That's how it works. Here I am, a staunch Republican, but one of my heroes, I I don't care. I'll say it. Shirley Chisholm. Heck yeah. In fact, (laughs) I think if she were alive today, I'm not so sure she would be accepted by some Democrats. But I think she was such a fabulous, fabulous being and so graceful and so dignified and so eloquent and so intelligent. I think that she has inspired people regardless of party affiliation, regardless of gender, regardless of race, regardless of origin. She was just someone so truly special. And I'm paraphrasing. One of my favorite quotations from her, the one thing that you've got going for you is your vote. And that is so true. That is so unbelievably true. There's no truer truth than that. It's it's the idea that, again, If someone fears or thinks that there's going to be someone running against him or her, they're going to be more mindful of what they say and do. They're not going to take the office that they hold for granted because they know that however much of a possibility it is, that they could lose their seat. We need to have different points of view. It's so important. We talk about diversity all all the time, right? But does it really matter if we have, like, more people of color? If they're all thinking from the left? I mean, if everyone's progressive or left, or most people are left or progressive, why does it matter if we have more faces of color? 
I mean, I appreciate that someone of color can offer a perspective that can be valuable, very valuable. But I think in terms of crafting policy, and law, and just kind of setting the discourse of conversation, because it's not just the media. I think the elected officials also play a role in setting the terms of discourse, the content of discourse, the direction of discourse. I I think we need diversity of thought. I know we do. Let me give you an example. Walgreens is closing. So Walgreens, there have been some stores that have closed in Roxbury, believe in Hyde Park. But there's been a lot of talk. Roxbury is very much in the news right now for, for different reasons. The prevailing narrative, well, quite frankly, the only narrative is that racism is at play. So, of course, that's been peddled, promoted, propagated by Congresswoman Ayanna Presley and others. And I find that so unbelievably offensive because this has nothing to do with racism. Look, whether we're talking about a big corporation or a mid-sized business or a mom-and-pop store, if, if there were actually instances of discrimination, believe me, I would not be shy about lending my voice to the chorus, regardless of whose voices make up that chorus. Because I have worked with progressives before. I am, you know, I don't normally say this, but I guess you could, yeah, I'm a MAGA. I'm MAGA. I'm a MAGA Republican. Make America great again. You might even call me ultra MAGA. But there are all kinds of ideas about what MAGA is and ultra MAGA. You're narrow-minded. You're stupid. You're bigoted. And generally the people who are throwing out those labels who are quick to affix those labels, they're some of the the, the nastiest, most narrow-minded, most parochial, provincial people you'd ever want to meet. I, (laughs) an ultra-MAGA Republican, I have progressive friends. There's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, and I've said this, I've been doing commentary since 2008. I can't believe it. I've been doing it since 2008, And I have long said that the reason why I am so confident in my views is because I have taken the time to listen to other people. When you listen to other people who might disagree with you somewhat or even a lot on a particular issue, and you sit down and have an intellectually good faith, intellectually honest good faith discussion with them, that forces you to articulate clearly why you believe what you do, why you are saying 
what you're saying. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful intellectual exercise. So it's, it's not because of that, that I have p- people who are my friends or people, you know, that with whom I associate in the political life. It's just, you know, just so happens that I have friends throughout the political spectrum. But I, I mean, I think that we need to have that diversity of thought. We do. And so to get back to the example that I'm putting forth, it's, you know, the closure of these stores, that, that has nothing to do with racism on the part of the corporation. You know, the Walgreens and CVS is, is, is now pulling out too. CVS has closed a store. There, there used to be a CVS right by Methadone Mile. That closed a while ago. And let me tell you something. That was a nice CVS. That was a very nice CVS because I used to shop there. But what are they, you know, what are these chain stores, what are these corporations supposed to do? These are not charities. And even if, even if they were charities, charities still have a, they have a bottom line to meet too. Trust and believe that. It's just the wording is different. But it's still necessary for the charities to bring in money. Believe that. Believe that. In some ways, charities function like for-profit organizations. In many ways, actually. And sometimes, I guess that's why you could even argue that the line is blurred between the two. And we do actually have socially conscious uh, businesses now. And I think we have an increasing number of them. But to get back to my point, Walgreens, CVS, they have to make a profit. It's, it's not racism that while they're pulling out of, 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 of neighborhoods that happen to be uh, majority, minority, although some people, I guess, take offense at that term now. Um, it's it's we're we're talking about theft. If you want to talk about racism, then why don't we talk about why people who are not from Boston are being dumped? People with substance abuse issues that are not from Boston, they might not even be from Massachusetts. Why they're dumping them all in neighborhoods where there are a lot of people of color? We can talk about racism then. Let's talk about racism then, but we're not going to do that. No, 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 because then that calls into question the judgment and the rationale of the legislators, of, of, of different politicians who may or may not be legislators, right? You know, we could be talking about the mayor. We could be talking about the governor. We could but. It calls into question the rationale, the motivating factors. Why are, we, why are we putting all these people struggling with substance abuse? Why? Why are they all being put, dropped into neighborhoods where you have people, uh, a lot, a number, a good number of people of color? Why? Why is that acceptable? It's not. 
And that's not to say that I want to be I want them to be dropped in all lily white neighborhoods. What I want, if I can step outside this this example in this particular the point I'm trying to make in the, right here and now, more broadly, I want us to stop taking in all these different people from other states that whether it's a family or an individual, and in this case, it, uh, it's it's more appropriate, I think, to talk about individuals who might be struggling with substance abuse. They come here, they're homeless, and it's just like, look, we want to be compassionate. We want to be thoughtful. We want to be welcoming. And we pride ourselves on being inclusive. Throughout the political spectrum, I, I'm going to give that benefit of the doubt to everyone. Even if someone or so, many someones don't always give that to me because of the letter after my name and my choices, the, my political choices. But, but the point is, is we, we all want to be decent people, but our resources are ultimately finite and we're not being compassionate and inclusive if we're taking in people who are from outside without taking care of people who are right from here or taking care of people who are from outside by taking from people who are here or maybe people who have come here and put down roots. That's not okay. So we need to stop doing that. Families and individuals. And then if we're talking about within the state, different regions, different municipalities, like different municipalities need to take care of their business. And, you know, there can be regional partnerships that can arise. But the solution isn't just giving people a bus ticket to Boston. Oh, you you have a substance abuse problem. Here's a bus ticket. Go to Boston. No, I don't think so. But again, if we want to talk about racism, to get back to my example, let's talk about that. Because I doubt we would do that to Wellesley or Lexington or Weston. We're not going to do that. But it's okay to do that to certain sections of Boston. No, it's not okay. So we have that. We have people stealing left, right, and center to feed their habit. But then it also must be said we have people in the community who go into the community and they don't have substance abuse issues. You know, they're not addicts. And they're just helping themselves. Adults and some of our youth. And let me tell you something. When that happens, those people are all hurting other people. They're hurting you. They're hurting me. And so we need people to stand up to say, wait a minute. We need to start having an accountability. We just seem to have an excuse for everything. That person's black. That person's poor. That person didn't have milk and cookies when he was four years old. Uh, you know, 
every day after nursery school, uh, you know, pr- kindergarten. I mean, where is it going to end? There are all kinds of excuses. We need to start having accountability. And again, that comes when we have different currents of thought. But I think, if I might say so, the Republican ideas, I think that when we have more Republican ideas and values, and they're in the marketplace of ideas, and they're represented more fully and more accurately, I think that I think that that's a catalyst for change. And I think given the positions that Republicans have on some of these very issues that I've been talking about, I think that really it's, in many ways, the Republican Party is poised to meet the moment. Because we are at a critical juncture. We we are enveloped in 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 multiple crises that are all multidimensional. And we've got to do something about it. You know, another uh, problem I have is that because people don't know the issues, so we're going to jump back to that if, if we could, they don't know the issues, they don't address them, and then when they become bigger issues, then their solution further exacerbates the problem and then gives rise to new ones. So in today's city council meeting, unfortunately, I could not attend, but I will be I will be watching it because I try to watch when I can. And uh, I would have loved to have been uh, today's city council, but I just, again, I couldn't. Um, but I have some exciting news to share about today's city council meeting, uh, but that's, that'll be for another time. But, uh, but I did see, and I, you know, um, see something about, I read something about how there was talk about fees, you know, uh, charging, uh, charging to, uh, charging drivers to address, um, the congestion issues in Boston, and I just, I, I, that doesn't make any sense to me because the reason why we have so much congestion is because we have too many cars. Just stay with me. <laughs> I can imagine people saying, well, duh. Just please stay with me. The reason why we have so many cars is because we have Uber and Lyft, right? So right here in Boston, unlike taxis, a full disclosure, my family's in the business, Unlike taxis, if you have a taxi, that's it, 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 it can only pick up in the city that it's licensed in. So that's 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 generally that's generally how it works. Uh, some areas further out, you might be talking about. Uh, a taxi company that services different communities. But if you're talking about Cambridge, for instance, if you're talking about uh, Chelsea, if you're talking about Boston, a Boston 
a Boston cab, a Boston taxi driver can take you to California, right? But the pickup's got to be in Boston. I mean, that's just how it works. So I'm a little less familiar, and I actually should be better versed, and, and, I'll, and I, I'll actually report back to you all about that, but, uh, you know, about uh, companies that, you know, you have smaller municipalities, so they'll service, you know, a cluster of municipalities that are not far from each other, but certainly like in the more urban areas, I mean, you know, Boston, Cambridge, Chelsea, you pick up in the city where the vehicle's licensed. But you can drop off anywhere. Uber, they can pick up and drop off where they want. And although Uber, at least Uber, I'm not sure about Lyft, but Uber, while it cannot drop off, like, say, in New Hampshire, Uber drivers in New Hampshire can pick up and drop off in Massachusetts. So it's, it's a little insane. And so that needs to be addressed. And that can be addressed obviously, on the state level. So people in the city council should work with their counterparts in the state legislature. No, what they're going to do is they're going to try to tax people and force people off the road who need to drive their car for different reasons. We're going to talk more about this, um, but unfortunately, that's all I have time for on today's show. Uh, I look forward, as always, uh, to hanging out with you. So, Until uh, Wednesday of next week, take care of yourself, and uh, we'll catch up then. The preceding commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3215 or email radio at bnnmedia.org.